And Ahab the son of Omri did evil in the sight of the Lord, more than all who were before him. And as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of the son of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, he took for his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ephbaal, king of the Sidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. He erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. And Ahab made an Asherah. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. In his days, Hiel of Bethel built Jericho. He laid its foundation at the cost of Abiram, his firstborn, and set up its gates at the cost of his youngest son, Sagub, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Joshua, the son of Nun. Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him, Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook of Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Cherith, that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Well, let me add a good morning to you as well. My name is, is Tim, and I serve as, as one of the pastors uh, here. And if you, you have a Bible, you can turn there to 1 Kings, uh, basically 1 Kings 17. That's where we'll be. If you don't have a Bible, we have um, them in the back of the room. You can go back, grab one, um, and, uh, and open it. Uh, although none of you are going to read that as well. Sarah just read that scripture. That was really impressive. There's some names in that, uh, in that chapter. Uh, but we are, we're starting a new series uh, this morning, which we're calling With Us, and it is it's looking at the life of the prophet Elijah and this king named um, Ahab. And so that's where we'll be over the next eight weeks. But before we jump into uh, this morning and what, what the text for this morning is, let's, let's pray and ask for God's help. Uh, Father God, we, we pause now to open your word and ask that you would give us eyes that see, ears that hear, and hearts that understand and know you. We pray these things in, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this story about um, Elijah and, and Ahab is, is a story about one question. And the question that comes from what these stories are ultimately about, which is, is a confrontation between the God of the Bible and this, this ancient God named Baal. Which God is, is the true God? Now, I'm fairly certain that that doesn't sound exciting to you. Because I'm guessing none of us, probably none of us drove by the, the Baal church uh, this morning, or, uh, or very few of you probably, maybe 100% of you did not walk into this uh, service this morning wondering, like, which is the true God? Is it Baal or is it the God of the Bible? I'm not sure. I need help. I need a series. No one came in here thinking that. And, and yet, even though we don't have the exact conflict that's, that's here in 1 Kings, we do have a very similar con- con- uh, conflict in our day, that we're asking the question that First Kings is, is asking. We're not asking, is it God or is it the God of the Bible or is it Baal? But we are asking, is there one God who's Lord over all? 
Is there one true God? For us, it's is there one true God or is there no God? That's sort of the conflict um, of our day. But it's the conflict in 1 Kings. And yet, that's not really the question. The question I don't want us to spend time asking isn't, is there one true God overall? That is the question of of 1 Kings. But that's more of an intellectual question. Whereas 1 Kings are, they're, they're more personal questions. There is... There's suffering in these verses. There's danger. And behind that question isn't like, is there intellectually a God over the universe? But is there a God whom we we can trust to navigate us through a world that is often an evil place? So the question I want us uh, to be asking over the next eight weeks as we we look at the life of Elijah, of Ahab, of this confrontation between the God of the Bible and Baal, um, the question we, we should be asking is, is, is there a God who is with us? Is there a God who, who does run the universe, who is over all and yet is present with us in our life? And so our, our present uh, chapter this morning, uh, 1629 to 17.7, it, it begins this question by putting the two main uh, human characters in front of us. This king named Ahab and this prophet named um, Elijah. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at each main character. We're going to look at Ahab. We're going to look at Elijah. And we're going we're to put this question, is God with us, when we look at their, their lives, their characters? So first, um, Ahab. And the Bible, it tells, uh, is ultimately a long story. And I think that can get lost because we read bits and chunks of it. But ultimately, the Bible is just telling one long story. And one of the key turning points in the story the Bible tells about us and about our world Uh, comes in the book of Genesis in chapter 12 where God goes to this old man named Abraham who's had no children. And God says to this man, uh, Abraham, I'm going to do two things for you. First, you're old, you have no kids, I'm going to give you a son. And that son one day is going to become a nation of people that's going to be so numerous, uh, they're going to outnumber the stars in the sky. So that's promise one, and that happens. I, uh, Abraham has a son named Isaac at a very old age. Isaac has descendants that become the nation Israel. That promise comes true. The second promise God makes to this man Abraham is, because you're going to have this really big nation, they're going to need a place to live. I'm going to give them land to, to live in. And this promise comes true as well. So once they become a nation, uh, in the Old Testament there's a man named Moses. He, uh, he leads this nation into this promised Land that God had promised to give to Abraham. And when that happens, they become a nation, they become solidified. And this is where things start to go off the rails. That the people ask for a king. And uh, the first couple kings are, are bad to okay. David's sort of the pinnacle. David's the second king. He's the high point. Everything from there just goes downhill. And so that, that sort of gets you up to the point of, okay, they're in this land. They're a nation like God said they would be to Abraham. There's, there's these kings in place now. But rather than me tell you the whole story, video is always more interesting than, than a person. And so uh, the, there's this thing called the Bible Project that, that does videos. Um, we actually, we send it out on our Instagram account. So you can watch the full video around first um, and second Kings. Uh, but we want to let uh, the video take us up from the point of David to the point of King Ahab. So take a look. The books of first and second Although they're two separate books in our Bibles, they were originally written as one book telling a unified story that continues on from the book of Samuel that came before it. So David has unified the tribes of Israel into a kingdom, and God promised that from his line would come a messianic king who would establish God's kingdom over the nations and fulfill the promises made to Abraham.
All right, now that we've all been to seminary for like three minutes, uh, although that's way more fun than the seminary I went to, just to be honest. Uh, but um, now that we know some of this backstory, uh, we're, we're set up for this confrontation between this prophet named Elijah, this king named Ahab. And, and verses 29 through 34 in 1 Kings 16 are to highlight how bad Ahab is. And the narrator does this, and he says basically three things about Ahab to say this guy is, is really bad. Um, the first uh, is that um, he, he wants to make the point in verse 30 that Ahab um, did more evil than all who were before him. Now remember the video, uh, Ahab lives in the northern kingdom of Israel, and so there were 20 kings, and they were all bad, but the narrator wants you to know that Ahab's the worst of the 20. So he, of, of the, the 20 evil kings, he's number one, he's the best at being the worst. That's what he wants, the narrator wants you to know this. But it gets worse than than this, because then the narrator points out that Ahab marries, uh, mar- marries this woman named Jezebel. And, and this is a problem for two reasons. First is that in marrying Jezebel, that's, uh, what he's doing is he's connecting Israel to, this, to Jezebel's kingdom sort of as an international treaty, um, which to our, our ears wouldn't sound bad, except for the fact that in the Hebrew Scriptures, God explicitly said, do not form foreign treaties with other nations. I will protect you. You don't have to form treaties. If you perform treaties, I'm not going to protect you. So Ahab is, is intentionally disobeying the word of the Lord by marrying this woman. But the, the, the worst thing about this marriage is Ahab is doing this because he wants to worship this other god named Baal. And the reason he wants to worship this other god named Baal is Baal was, was the rain god. The God of life, uh, to some extent, is how people thought of them. That both Jezebel's nation and Israel were agricultural societies, which meant their wealth was based in their crop. And, and so rain wasn't just uh, um, a nice thing to cool the day off. It was, it was wealth. It was their economic engine. If it didn't rain, everything fell apart. And so, uh, and so the Baal was the God who, provo- who, who provided rain. And so, so Ahab set up worship to Baal all over Israel, and this is a problem, one, because God said don't do this, but also the worship of Baal was actually, it was a very sort of disturbing and, and very sinful practice, and I'm going to keep this PG-13, um, but hopefully some of you will understand what this meant. Uh, so in Baal temples, there were prostitutes there, and the way you worship Baal was you went and you had a relationship with a prostitute in the temple, because the thinking was, as you did this with prostitutes, um, Baal would become excited himself. And he would respond with that excitement with rain coming down from, uh, from the sky. If you'd like to mo- know more about that, you can Google that. I'm, that's as far as I'm going to go. But I think you catch the imagery, sort of the disturbing nature of what worship of Baal looked like. And yet, I, listen, it, we should not judge that because the reality is rain, rain was their income. If it did not rain, it, it, horrible results, horrible consequences. And so you can at least understand why Ahab would want to... S- wants to secure an economic engine by worshiping a God who promised him rain. So those are the first two things that are are wrong with Ahab. The third is the worst. And that's we're told in verse 34 that Ahab rebuilds the city of Jericho, which, again, for us, our ears, that should sound like a normal thing. Like, that's what great governors do. They they build up cities, and yet there's two problems with verse 34. One is, is again, in Joshua, God had explicitly told Israel not to rebuild the city of Jericho which is a pretty specific instruction, right? Like, don't, do, do not rebuild that city, and Ahab rebuilds that city. That's, 
I mean, that's, that's, it's, it's completely against the word of the Lord. But the worst thing is, if you were in this Baal religion and you built a city, oftentimes what you would do is when you built the wall and when you built the gates, you would, you would perform a child sacrifice and then put the child's dead body in the wall or in the gates in order to uh, ensure protection against foreign, uh, uh, you know, foreign invasion or, or all sorts of problems. And so when in verse 34 it talks about Ahab rebuilding the city at the cost of his first son and at the cost of his second son, um, either it's an infant who died in, in birth that was then placed in the wall or placed in the gate, or it was an actual child sacrifice that Ahab did in order to secure the safety of, of this city. So Ahab killed his own children in order to build a city. So my guess is at this point, I don't have to do a lot of work convincing you that Ahab is an evil person. We're probably all there um, at this point. But here's the thing. Most of the people in Israel in that day who read their Bibles, who, who were a part of this, this descendant from Abraham, most of those people sided with Ahab and not Elijah. In fact, it's going to get so bad at one point, Elijah's going to say to God, I'm the last one you have left. I'm it, God. And even though he's wrong in saying that, you at least get a glimpse um, into the fact that basically all of God's people have turned their back onto God and they have turned to Baal to worship Baal and to follow Ahab instead of the Lord. So what does this have to do with us, right? I mean, this is, so, this is such a distant cultural reality. What does it have to do with us? Well, the first, uh, as, we, as we ask this question, okay, is God with us? Um, the first thing I want us to think about, reflect on as we look at Ahab is um, that those who oppose God always look impressive. And maybe you're thinking, well, I'm not impressed by Ahab. This guy's he's, he's evil. He's terrible. Well, of course you're not because you don't, you don't live in his day. You, we have the cultural distance to understand the evil he's doing. But to understand what's going on here, Ahab's father, Omri, um, is one of the few kings we have mentioned uh, outside of the Bible. And so Omri is, is mentioned in this thing called the Mesha Steel, which is from uh, the nation of Moab. And, and what it says about um, Ahab, which you can see, I, have, I think I have a picture of that um, in the slides. Um, which, what you read of Omri there is that he built cities, he did amazing things culturally, he was a great leader, and people loved him. That's what you read in the Mesha Steel. What you read of the Bible is basically one sentence. Omri, uh, he, did, he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And that's all you hear. Nothing about his cities, nothing about his economic ingenuity, nothing about all the great things. No, he, he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And you look at Ahab. Ahab is, he's rebuilding cities. He signed an important international treaty to secure peace with a rival nation. He's reached out to Baal, the rain god, to ensure economic success for his, his people. He's impressive. He's getting things done. And it's why a lot of people slowly move away from the God of, Bible, or the, God of the Bible and to, to Baal because those who oppose God always look impressive. They look, they look imposing. They look, they're wealthy. They have, they have uh, an era or an aura about them. And it's only because we have the benefit of a couple thousand years past Ahab to see that's an evil guy. You shouldn't follow him. And so as we reflect on this and as we bring this into our own day, a, a couple thoughts. Uh, first is that the Bible, the Bible lives in this tension between an all-powerful God and evil that opposes him. That I think one of the, if you're to answer the question, is there a God with us? If you're to answer that question, no. Probably one of the primary reasons is, is you look at a world that has lots of evil that seems to be operating without any pushback. Right? There's, we got lots of Ahabs in the world. 
who just kind of do what they want, and they, 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 uh, they create injustice, they do terrible things, and no one stops them. And if there is an all-powerful God, why wouldn't he stop them? And the Bible, just, it's, it's just completely fine with that, that tension. It, it lives in this tension that um, the story of Elijah confronting Ahab, of God confronting Baal, um, ultimately it has no problem with the idea that, that God lets evil operate to some extent in the world. And so on the one hand, the Bible depicts Ahab operating with, uh, with great latitude to do evil. And on the other hand, the Bible is saying God is all-powerful and will confront evil at some point. And in our eyes, often that conf- confrontation of evil is very long delayed. And the reality is, if you don't, if you don't come to terms with that, um, it's going to be hard to believe God is with you. If you don't understand, God at times let evil have its way before he confronts it. You have to come to terms with that in order to believe God is with us. But the worst, I mean, to give up on God then is to give up on the idea that, that anyone is, is at some point coming to confront that evil. And yet we who believe God is with us, we live in, the, we live in this tension of Ahab's operating and God waiting to confront. So that, that's first. The Bible lives in that tension. The, the other thing is, is this evil, um, if you're a believer, if you, if you believe God is with us, it's, it's discouraging. So when I, when I first came to Kansas City, uh, I started, we're a multi-site church. We have five campuses across campus, uh, Kansas City. When I first came, we, I started our Olathe campus. And when I first came, uh, there were two women who had give, been given cancer diagnoses that were, um, death was almost certain at some point. And so we, we, we prayed for them over and over and over and over and over again. And I, I remember having this experience of at some point coming to this place um, of just asking, what's the point? And I, I probably shouldn't as a pastor. I, I believe in God, and I believe in God's healing. But at some point, you just say, well, how many times do I just pray this in the face of evil? Um, when do you just give up and say, There's no, like, this, this isn't going to change um, anything? And even though, um, in our case, maybe the evil we confront is, is less Ahab and more cancer, um, and yet I would say if you live with eyes wide open in this world, you're going to find evil people like Ahab who are operating and are oppressing others and are stepping on the poor and creating injustice. You're going you're gonna to feel like you're in a world where, what's the point? Evil wins in the end. And that's why we need the story, because Ahab does win for a long time. And Elijah feels like Ahab is winning. And this theme is, is all over the Bible. And one of my favorite places is, is uh, this theme comes out, is in Psalm 2. In Psalm 2, which is it's sort of your gateway into the Psalms, which is, is our guide to how we pray. Psalm 2 begins in the first three verses by just looking at how impressive the kings of the world are. And they're all gathering together. They're, they're, they're opposing God. They, they don't want, they're, they're finding ways to take God down. And they, they're impressive. And they look like they're winning. And then you get to verse 4 and you, the psalmist pulls you back from this, this evil world with people conspiring against God and you get to verse 4, you get into the throne room of God and here's what's going on in the throne room of God is these kings are plotting against God. Psalm 2 verse 4, he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derisions. And that's the tension you and I live in is that this world has evil that conspires against God. And we live in it. I mean, unless you close your eyes and you run and you hide and you just, you just put it away from yourself. And, and listen, in our context, it's easy to do that. But unless, if, you, if you open eyes wide to this world, 
the evil in this place, the people who, who perpetrate it, the, the evils we experience like cancer, like th- those things are suffocating. And we have, to, we have to enter into this space of prayer where we see, yes, there is evil conspiring against God, but God laughs at it. And so that's point one. You look at Ahab, he's evil, he's impressive, he's getting things done, everyone's turning to him. And that's how it often works. Those who oppose God often look impressive. But secondly, now we're introduced to Elijah. And the way that the narrator introduces Elijah into the scene, it's almost, it's sudden, it's, it's sporadic. And Elijah just bursts on the scene and he just starts, he just starts making big claims. Um, so he says, this is Elijah's first word, As the Lord, um, the God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. I love that. Elijah's first, first sentence in the Bible is, it will not rain unless I say it's going to rain. Like, that's a pretty bold uh, first statement to the king of, of Israel. And, and this bold strategy, it highlights kind of two things about Elijah. That first is, is that Elijah, he's unique among the prophets. The prophets typically, all they say is, the Lord says, and then they speak. But Elijah starts by saying, I say. And so it's cute in the fact, like, we don't get to operate like Elijah operates. Like, he's unique. Uh, He has a power attached to him. The confrontation with Baal is going to be unique among the scriptures. Elijah is a unique prophet. That's first. But the second thing, and we have to keep coming back to this, the fight and the confrontation is not ultimately between Elijah and Ahab. It's between the God of the Bible and Baal. That Elijah is challenging Baal here. He's saying, okay, Ahab, you've decided Baal gives you rain. I want you to know that me, a prophet, I can put a stop to that because Baal doesn't give you anything. The God of the Bible, Yahweh, he is the one who makes it rain, not Baal. And to prove that to you, it will not rain until I say it's going to rain. Elijah, he shows incredible boldness here, and yet he doesn't doesn't know what's going to happen next. Ahab's king of Israel. Ahab can just just kill him in that moment. But, But what I find what happens next is so interesting. Elijah comes with this word of power. And authority, we're impressed, right? What an impressive response to, to, to this impressive man who's opposing God. And yet, look, did you, did you hear Sarah read what happens next? God, God tells Elijah, uh, run to the wilderness where you're going to live alone. Uh, and you're gonna, ravens are going to feed you. And you're going to drink from a brook that's going to slowly dry, dry up. That this could not be more unimpressive. And if you're just to pause back, you live in Israel in this moment, uh, who are you going to side, side with? The king is making treaties and economic success. He's building cities. Things are going well. Are you going to believe the guy, the crazy guy who lives by himself in the wilderness, who he claims ravens are feeding him? What team are you going to play for? Right? Who checks more boxes with the, the gods with him? Who's more impressive? A king who runs a palace? The world's taking notice of. They're giving their daughters to him in marriage. You're going to go with him or are you going to go with with the guy who is by himself in the wilderness? So if the lesson we learn from Ahab is those who oppose God look impressive, the lesson we learn from Elijah is is to be with God is to go to the wilderness. And many of us, we can't go there. We want God to take us to the palace. We want him to give us blessing, riches, a good life. And God wants to, he wants to take us to the wilderness. 
That God is with us, but He's often with us when we're alone. Being fed by ravens. Drinking from a brook that's drying up. And we don't want that. We don't want the suffering. We don't want the loneliness. We don't want the pain. And so we, we grab sides with Ahab. And Elijah will do amazing things in the week to, to, weeks to come. He will do impressive things that will make us want to side with him. But it starts, Elijah's ministry starts being alone. And God calling him out of the confrontation and to, to, to trust. We don't want that. We don't want the wilderness. But the wilderness, uh, a life where God calls us into to pain or into suffering, into hardship, there's two things that happen there in the wilderness. That happens with Elijah. It would happen with you if you let God take you there. The first is the wilderness, it teaches dependence on, on God. All right, the phrase in, in 1 Kings uh, 7, uh, or 17, uh, 7 is, is that the ravens came day and night. They gave Elijah bread and, morning in the morn- or bread and, and, and meat in the morning, bread and meat in the evening. And that's, of course, what Jesus taught us to pray for is our daily bread. That in suffering and in pain and in loneliness... Um, and feeling like you're losing to the evil of this, this world. Um, you learn a new rhythm to life. You learn you don't have the capacity to provide for yourself. Which is something in, I think in our context it's hard, to, it's hard to believe that. It's hard to believe you need God to give you daily bread, daily food. I mean, we, Most of us probably have a fridge stocked, a bank account stocked. We could eat for days. And yet we need to learn this daily dependence on God. So maybe for you this, this, this week, um, a next step for you, I, mean, I think many of us maybe have a rhythm where we pray before meals. Rather than praying God and thanking God for the food in front of us, maybe it's just saying, God, thank you that you've answered a prayer today. God, you fed me today. This is, this is your provision to me. Yes, I've worked. Yes, I have income, all that. But God, you, this is your gift to me. You have provided to me. We need to learn that sense of daily dependence on God. Because once you learn that, once you believe you, you are dependent on God and he will provide, then you, the second thing the wilderness does, it grows a boldness in you, in us. Because if, if God is with you, who can be against you? And we sang that earlier. All right, so, so Ahab is impressive. So what? He's not God. He can't feed me every day. He can't give me water to, to drink. Who cares that Ahab is a king? Who cares that he's king? Who cares he has all the power? It doesn't matter because there is a God who is confronting and will confront him. And again, Elijah's a unique prophet. I'm not necessarily saying like, hey, be like Elijah. But what I am saying is there, if you live in dependence on God, there's a boldness. And listen, I think at times, probably in our context, in the Christian faith, in, our, in the American uh, culture, I think boldness is probably a quality we often lack. We're kind of afraid of, of what speaking out or a boldness might do to us. And yet Elijah, he is not afraid to say, listen, it's, Baal is not a better God than the God of the Bible. And, and that is going to be proven in the weeks to come. There's a boldness to him. And there should be a boldness about us. And if there's not a boldness about your faith, it's probably because you're not walking in daily dependence. You're walking in your own strength, your own giftedness, your own capacities. And if that's the case, you'll never be bold. Because you shouldn't be bold on your own gifts, your own talents. But if you believe God is with you, there's nothing off limits to us. Do you believe that? I know it's, it's hard to believe some, some days. It's, you take a long look at the universe, it's not hard to believe that uh, maybe there isn't a God with us. Maybe evil does win out in the end. There are plenty of Ahabs in the world today. And if there is even an Elijah, God is raised up. He's probably by himself in the wilderness somewhere being fed by ravens that we don't know about. 
And this, this idea that this is how God often confronts evil, and you read through the story of the Bible, this shows up all the time. God always picks the weak, the forgotten, those who we're not impressed by to confront those who we are impressed by. God always works like this, and this never made sense to me until you get, until you get to Jesus. And when you get to, to, to Jesus, you find someone else who similarly, like Elijah, is not impressive. He's from a town no one respects and makes fun of. He's from the wrong, um, um, from ro- the wrong race from within uh, Israel. He's a Galilean. That's the, wrong, that's the wrong place to be from. He had no majesty. No one really noticed him. And when he started to, to talk, people noticed his accent. And a lot of people left him because he said things that offended them. And ultimately, the Ahab of Jesus' day, the Roman Empire, they, they put him on a cross and executed him, even though they, they were aware of the fact he was innocent of all charges. Jesus is unimpressive when you put him next to Rome. And yet when you think of Jesus in Rome, when you think of Elijah and Ahab, and you wonder why, if there is, if there is a powerful, all-creator God who, who, who is bigger than the God of Baal, who does exist despite the fact that we wonder sometimes does he exist, why does that God work from the wilderness? Why does he work with such unimpressive people? And the answer is, is ultimately because... Yes, God is all-powerful God who can do anything. He has no limits. He can confront evil in his time, and he will. Yes, he is that God, but he is also the God with us. He wants to enter into our weakness. He wants to enter into our frailty as human beings. Because if all God is is an all-powerful God who just gets things done, he, how can he relate to those of us who are trying to navigate a world with Ahabs, navigate a world with evil, navigate a world that crushes us. He doesn't just want to be God over us. He wants to be God with us. And so from time to time, guys like Ahab get to run the world, and we run to the wilderness. And so this series, the next few weeks, is ultimately it's about one thing. That despite all the evidence to the contrary, despite all the Ahabs running around the world wreaking havoc, despite the evil you and I experience, despite the wildernesses that you and I at times have to live in for particular seasons, despite all of this, God is with us. And he is with us in power. And we need that story. We need that story again and again and again because those who do evil are so impressive and because it's hard to live in the wilderness. And so for the next few weeks, may we enter that story to hear the central claim of the Bible that's there again and again and again. God is with us. But he is with us in weakness. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are are both the God of power. You have no limits. And you are also the God of the wilderness. You are God who confronts evil. You confront people who do evil and they they will get justice. But you also provide for us our daily bread in, in the wilderness. God, you, you meet us in our weakness. And so, God, you, you are a God who wants to be worshipped as God alone because you are the only God there is, and yet you are also a God who sent your Son to take on flesh to serve us. And so would you help us, O oh Lord, to believe that you are with us? Would you help us to live the bold life of faith that follows from believing that you are with us? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, well, God is, is with us, but um, he wants to be with you at his table now. Um, 
And one of the ways we practice the presence of God in, in our midst is this table, this communion place, um, where we believe that um, his body was broken for us, his blood was shed for us in order to bring us to this table. Um, because as, as a church we believe that um, this is Jesus' table, not ours. We practice open communion. It means you don't have to be a member of our church to uh, receive this meal. Um, the common groups of four to six, uh, take the bread, dip it in the juice, eat it together with the instruction of those who are serving you. Um, if you need gluten-free, it's available on this side of, of the room. Um, but if you're a professing Christian, if your faith is in Christ, if you believe God is with you through the Son, Jesus, come, receive this meal.
Amen. Well, thanks again for being with us uh, this morning. One of my, my favorite passages in the Bible that highlights this idea of God is all-powerful, um, confronter of evil, and, and, and just humble shepherd who guides us is Isaiah 40. Um, and so I wanted to go there for our benediction um, this morning. So if you're comfortable, raise your hand um, to receive it. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. That is your God. Go and serve him this week.